Hello, my friends, Spencer Nelson and Brian Hunsaker from our North Salt Lake City office, headquarters of Iron Gate Global Advisors, filling in for Brett Pattison. You're doing a great job. Thank you. I appreciate that. That makes me feel good. So the reason why we're doing the podcast today and Brett isn't with us is uh, Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. Uh, Brian, myself, and uh, Dan Bell ended up going back to Omaha eating some incredible barbecue wow. in Kansas City. Best barbecue I've ever had. If you have questions about where to find the best ribs, email Brian or myself and we will tell you. Um, but phenomenal barbecue and then incredible meetings at Berkshire in Omaha. Had a, had a great time and we wanted to give our key takeaways, kind of what we um, took from the meetings there at Berkshire and uh, I've kind of separated them out more philosophical and then practical takeaways. Um, the very first overlying thing that I want to just talk about and, and I want Brian's comments on, I think I underestimated the brand of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Um, that was something that I was even, I, I knew they're famous, knew they're popular, but when you get there, you realize that Warren and Charlie are a brand. They are. Yeah. And I, I really wanted my business partners to go to Berkshire. And uh, last year, I think we talked, I think we've been talking about it for a couple of years. Yeah. And finally, we pulled the trigger. And I got Spencer and Dan and, and Brett wasn't able to go, but uh, it was really good. I wanted it, my business partners to really understand. I've understood this for a long time. I've been an investor and share, a shareholder in Berkshire for over 20 years. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad that you're able to go. I think it's, it's a one, yeah, Charlie and Warren are brands unto themselves. They really are. But also I think you come away from the meeting with a lot of confidence in the management there. Mm -hmm. uh, not only Warren and Charlie, but their successors and we know who those who those uh, successors are today so yeah it was it was a great meeting yeah in the first meeting greg abel was up there and then why can't i think of insurance guy ajit jane yeah ajit jane was there who runs the insurance and they took a lot of questions along with warren and charlie and yeah i think investors at least the feeling from the meeting was there is a lot of confidence in that next generation of warren uh, uh, berkshire hathaway leaders yeah, let me talk just a little bit about just the succession because people always ask what's going to happen to Berkshire after Warren and Charlie are gone. Yeah. Charlie's 99. He'll be 100 on January 1st. And Buffett's 92. Yeah, and, and for our listeners, the funny thing was they started the, the whole meeting out with a movie and one of the satires of the movie, they went back to like 1990, 96, 98, 2000, and the question continuously came up, well, what happens if you die? What's going to happen? And they kept giving the same answer and the same answer. And slowly but surely, obviously, we're 30 years later from when they were asking those questions. So they were in their 60s and 70s, yeah. you know? <laughs> anyway, continue. Well, th that really is the biggest question most people ask. What happens when Warren dies? I mean, I think that's the most common question I get about Berkshire. But uh, we already know who, what the succession plan is. The operations of the business will be Greg Abel. And in fact, Greg Abel is the COO. He's, he's running a lot of the businesses himself. Buffett is over investments. 
and he's still running the bulk of the investments. But he brought on two really sharp, experienced investors several years ago, Todd Coombs and Ted Weschler. And they are both, in and of themselves, great investors. And uh, I have a lot of confidence in both of them. So I don't think Berkshire's going to miss a beat. You know, there's there's only one Warren Buffett, but uh, Berkshire will do very well with those two guys running the money. Talk a little bit about, I don't think a lot of listeners probably understand the insurance side of Burke as much and specifically Ajit Jain, yeah. how important he, he is to the equation as well, well. Buffett says that Ajit is probably has probably created more value for Berkshire than anybody, including Buffett himself. Mm-hmm. And it's partly because of the business model of Berkshire Hathaway. They're a big reinsurance company. company. They, uh, they bought a company called National Indemnity years and years ago. In fact, they talked about that yeah. story. Uh, it's, it's really a funny story. We can talk about it some other time. But uh, he just got lucky and ran, ran into Ajit Jain, I think, uh, uh, on the street. or He, he, he talked him. about the yeah. meeting, and then he came in, and he, he, he requested a meeting with him or something like that. And the minute, he was like, this we've got to have this oh, guy. This guy is incredible. He's just really yeah. sharp and very smart. And uh, the the secret sauce of Berkshire and why uh, Ajit's been responsible for creating so much value over time is it's called float. It's called insurance float. You think about an insurance company. Insurance companies take in premiums, and but those the premiums they take in generally well the the, the insurance company can hold that money until they have to pay out uh, their liabilities or responsibilities on insurance claims. And that can take years and years, sometimes decades, before that money has to, goes out the door. So it's a very stable uh, 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 very stable assets. Mm-hmm. And, and that allows Berkshire to invest that money into businesses, into stocks, into Apple, into you know, other companies that Berkshire owns. And uh, that's really the secret sauce of, and it's almost inter, uh, cost-free money. It's like, it's like going to the bank and saying, hey, I want to, I want a loan for a million dollars. And the bank says, oh yeah, we'll just give it to you and let you use that money. And in fact, we don't ever want, you don't ever have to pay it back, but you know, we still, there's still an IOU that you owe us that money, but you never have to pay it back. And that's kind of what Berkshire has. They have this cost-free float that's over a hundred billion dollars, and yeah. they can turn around and invest that money. So it's it's really a and Berkshire is the most well financed insurance company in the world. Mm-hmm. They're very conservatively financed, strong balance sheet, and so it's it's a that's a that's the secret sauce to Berkshire. But it's really yeah, great. and yeah. Ajit Jain is is as we identified and Warren identified vital to that. Um, Okay, Brian, I have, we've got takeaways from the meeting because we could talk all day about Burke's meeting, honestly. Um, But so I'm going to just pepper you with kind of some takeaways we took, and I just want to get kind of quick thoughts on it. Okay, I'm going to separate it between the practical takeaways I took and then the philosophical ones. So practical, Burke is one of the strongest financially positioned companies in the world. Absolutely true. Um, Berkshire has very little debt. If you look at the, the, their balance sheet, Berkshire has very little debt and they have lots of cash. We talked about the cash in the insurance company. And then they also have cash outside of that where they have over $130 billion 
in cash and treasury bonds and, th- and things like that, that they, it, you know, Buffett calls it a bazooka. He's ready to shoot that bazooka at any time if, if a big opportunity comes along. And they're using some of that cash right now to buy back Berkshire stock. Yeah. But uh, the debt that they do have is not an obligation of the corporation of Berkshire Hathaway. They have two companies that require a lot of, uh, they're very capital intensive. One is the insurance, co- or one is the railroad company, Burlington Northern Railroad. And that, com- that company requires a lot of capital to reinvest back in the business, which is great because Berkshire can get a good return on that money. It's not like, they're not getting 20% return, but they're getting a very, it's regulated industry and they, they, are, they earn a good return on it. It's like eight or 9%. And then it, the utility business, they own a company called Rocky Mountain, not Rocky Mountain, Mid-American Energy, which owns our local utility for power, which is Rocky Mountain Power. It's in the Northwest, Utah, Idaho, Washington. And uh, those are uh, both very capital intensive businesses. But that debt sits on those balance sheets. Yeah, it doesn't not at, go to the whole It's company. not at Berkshire. So there's no obligation for Berkshire there. So if you look at it that way, Berkshire has a very strong balance sheet, very little debt, very conservatively managed. Buffett's always said that he will have at least $30 billion in liquid assets, cash, short-term treasuries at any time. And that gives them a very strong balance sheet. One, one of the things, and he kind of made light of it, but it's material, sitting on $130 billion in cash uh, a year to two years ago, they were making, because they... Here's the thing. Buffett did the exact opposite of what some of these banks did, unfortunately, is he stayed in short-term treasury. So he was like, we were making five to 10 basis points on $130 billion. Well, now they're making 500 or 550 basis points. So you're talking six to seven billion a year coming off of that just in treasuries yeah. alone. And obviously they're waiting for opportunities. That leads to the other practical point is They identified that there will be opportunities in the market, but it's harder for someone the size of Berkshire to have meaningful opportunities. Uh, Yeah, that's that's true. I've I've heard Buffett talk about this really for the last ever since I've been following Buffett, probably for the last 30 years. When you're managing uh, large sums of money, and in the case of Buffett, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars. There's not many opportunities out there that can move the needle. There's very few. It's really, really big ideas. In fact, Berkshire's biggest investment or one of their biggest investments is Apple, the biggest company in the world. Yeah. And uh, now there are a few things that will move the needle, but it is limited. You can't, Berkshire can't go out and buy a one or two or even a $3 billion company and it's going to move. It's not. Yeah. Which leads me, and there's some assumption here that probably one of the best things they can do with their money is repurchasing shares, which is obviously super beneficial for existing shareholders. So the fact that they don't have insane opportunities, now a COVID or something like that creates opportunities, but when the government comes in and backstops, when you're competing with the government, you're not going to win that game normally. But I actually think that's bullish from the sense that makes sense for them to repurchase more and more stock. Yep. Yeah, that's that is a great uh, way that Berkshire can benefit shareholders with all that cash, and that does move the needle. Yeah, if you think that there, if you think that there's a, a company that has four shares, and so each the shareholders in total sum own a, a uh, well, let's say there's four shareholders and four shares, and we remove one of those shares, and now 
the remaining four shareholders, instead of only 25% each, they own, they own, a, own a third of the company. Yep. So that is the benefit of Berkshire. So a third of the company, a third of the profits. If there's ever, ever a dividend in Berkshire, you know, a yep. third of dividends. Just by not doing anything and allowing Burke to repurchase shares, we become, as shareholders, own more and more of this great business. Right. I want Berkshire to buy a yeah. lot of stock. Yeah, that would be good. Um, okay, next uh, practical takeaway. It didn't sound like they think there are a lot of great opportunities in regional banks. Now, we'll look at their 13F, which will come out really soon, but... That was the takeaway is I was wondering with the regional banks getting slammed, if they had their eyes wide open as, hey, there's going to be some good opportunities. We didn't get that feeling from them at all. Yeah. And I think that's really the mindset of Buffett. He, he's not he's not a speculator. He, he He's looking for, they both, in fact, Munger and Buffett talked about, it. they want the easy ideas. <laughs> it's the slam dunks. And regional banks is not easy. There, there's a lot of question marks. And uh, they're, so they're very skeptical, not skeptical, but cautious. Yeah. And when there's, if they don't have really high confidence level, they're just going to stay away from it, no gotcha. matter how attractive it looks. And that's just Buffett's attitude. They're looking for easy slam dunks and regional banks is not an it's easy not slam. An easy there slam might. And I, in fact, I, I, I would bet we'll look out three years, four years, five, and there'll be some incredible opportunities, but it's hard to determine what those are, who yeah. those are. Uh, concern about China. They walked the tightrope of making sure that they didn't say any defamatory statements against China, against the Chinese government, because they obviously know there's consequences to that. But at the same time, you could tell there was an extreme caution. They talked specifically about their investment in Taiwan semiconductors and then getting out of it very quickly afterwards because of the geopolitical tension. Um, it, it sounds like they're cautious on China and, and even divesting things, trying to get out of there. Yeah. They, they own a business uh, called BYD. It's one of the largest bat, uh, EV battery makers in the, in the world. And, uh, they have been, and they, they bought it in 2008 for 200 and some odd million dollars. And it's worth several billion. I mean, it's been an incredible investment. And that was a Charlie Munger. Charlie kept nudging Buffett to buy it and Buffett, I think it took him a long time to do it, but he uh -huh. did buy it and it's been good, but they've been slowly divesting that investment in China. So they are concerned. In fact, I've heard Charlie, he's been a big believer in China and, and the work ethic there and, and, and what's happened over the last 30 years in China is really a miracle, but there's some caution there. There's been a shift in uh, what's happening in China and then also Taiwan Semiconductor. Buffett just says, we reevaluate it and we're just uncomfortable in the, with the political situation there. And I, and I agree, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with it as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, philosophical. And this is actually what I loved probably the most about it. But mm -hmm. um, we'll, start, we'll start here. They did talk about government. They expressed... They, they weren't critical, I, you know, um, and what's praise the individual. Um, he says praise by name, name and criticize by category. And that's what he did politically. Yeah. He did not, he, he, he didn't, he praised Powell. Um, he criticized government in general, but both of them talked about spending, spending, spending. It can't go on. Um, and that was more philosophical, but talk a little bit about that. Yeah, Munger's really strong on this issue and really bold, and he doesn't kind of pull a lot of punches. Buffett's very 
he's very measured on what he says and uh, less so than Munger. But uh, yeah, they, they are, they, they know that there's, there are negative consequences for, with all the spending. They don't know when and how that will play out, but it's not good. Yeah, and they said, we don't want to find out what right. that limit is. There is a limit. We don't want to find out what that limit is. But it also, to be clear, it didn't sound like they think that limit, we're, we're like close to it and teetering on the edge or anything like that. But they did say, hey, that's a concern. It needs to be addressed. And hopefully Washington can get its act together and address it at some point. Well, this, I think we're experiencing some of the issues that with a lot of spending yeah. right now, and that's in inflation. Yeah, I don't think it's really a risk. And Buffett's talked about this. People worry about the government, U.S. government defaulting on their debt. It's that's a very, very low probability, especially when we issue our own debt in our own currency. Mm -hmm. That's where countries get in problems when they issue their debt in other currencies. And that's where you've seen in South America, a lot of countries uh, default on their debt. But that's unlikely in the U.S. But we're dealing with inflation, a lot of excess spending, and that's the problem. We might have higher costs of, you know, higher inflation. Uh, it's going to cost more to buy a home because of high interest rates. And I think that's my, maybe what we're dealing with right now. Yeah. Um, opportunities come when other people do dumb things. Yeah, <laughs> I love that, that one. That was one. That was one that they said early on, and and I think they're talking about emotional, um, you know, just getting caught up in the wave and, and doing stupid things. And we look back over the last few years. I mean, NFTs selling for sixty million dollars, or cryptocurrencies like especially just created coins i mean bitcoin and ethereum is one thing but these other coins that were just crazy created having a hundred billion market cap and then going to zero and um but then in the stock market it, it, just quick takeaway opportunities come when people do dumb things yeah and that's always been the case and that will always be the case people will continue it's human nature we, we do dumb things from time to time <laughs> And we, we go from, and Brett's talked about this, where we go from a stage of euphoria, nothing could go wrong, and we, can, we can't lose money. And then all of a sudden, doubt starts to creep in, and then the, you know, the market goes down. And the market goes down, and then nothing can go right. And we, we go, this is just human nature. We go through these cycles, and we've seen it so many times before. It was interesting as I think about our podcast over the last several years. I remember talking in our podcast several times, yeah, this kind of reminds me of the dot-com boom and bubble in the late 90s, but it's, it's, so di it's different when you're going, excuse me, we're going through it. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, you see it, but you, now in a rearview mirror, you're looking like, wow, that was crazy. What, what were we thinking? What were people thinking? <laughs> what were people? Now, we're fortunate enough, and we, we feel like we avoid that. A lot of that. A lot of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, but it's definitely op stupidity creates opportunities in financial markets. Yeah. Charlie was big on this one and I liked it. There was an exchange where Charlie was talking about toxic people in your life, manipulative people, selfish people, just toxic people. Get them out of your life. Just get them out. And then Warren chimed in and said, try to do it tactfully, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was good. But yeah, just talk about that. I mean, their take on toxic people, whether you're talking about your personal life or, or your business. That's one of the things I love about Charlie and Warren is they have really good 
I mean, they are good people. Yeah, and they're principled. I they're think very, I really think they're principled people. Very principled people. I mean, we may not agree with uh, their views on some of their politics. And things uh, like we that. don't. We don't. For sure, we don't yeah. agree with them on everything. But I think at the core, there are some fundamental principles that they're trying to but guide the, their decisions. Their core is they have really good, strong fundamental principles, life lessons, and uh, you know, I've been following Charlie and Warren for. 30 years now and you know I've, I've picked up a lot of things from them over the over the years and and I well you're going to talk about one that I want a little saying that I've loved and heard before that uh, I think it's wonderful I think it's great you know it, it's interesting being there you're in an arena of I don't know 15,000 people 18,000 people whatever it holds and there's kind of two I was sitting there and and looking at the people there there's one kind of form of person is investor who has like an immense amount of gratitude to these people because they've helped build their wealth. Mm -hmm. I mean, people have gone and bought Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, when they would question and answer and they would say, I've owned your stock since 1992 or, you know, whatever. And you realize that these people have put kind of, I don't want to say their livelihood, but a large portion of their retirement and everything with them and trusted them and They've done a great job of that, yeah. of growing it. And so there's an immense amount of appreciation and gratitude. But then there's also the the type of individual or the feeling of people coming to try to get life lessons and advice from them. You oh, know, yeah. it kind of like going and listen to your grandparents or something right. to, to get some wisdom because of what they've seen and experienced through their lives. There's there's absolutely no substitute for experience in this world. And the both of those men have a lot of experience. And you can tell people want to get some of that wisdom. So they appreciate the practical and the financial. But I think they appreciate just as much the philosophical that, that they give. And that was the last one. My favorite quote of the entire thing was Buffett saying, well, what kind of life, what kind of person do you want to be? We'll write your obituary and then reverse engineer it and go live it. Yeah. You know, if you want people at the end of your life to say he was honest, he was hardworking, he was a good husband, he was a good father, whatever you want people to say, um, which I think those people, you know, those things I just said are generally what people want. Well, go write it down and then go live it. Yeah. And I thought, what great advice for a world that has a lot of complicated issues right now just decide the person you want to be and then go be that person yeah i love that quote i since we got back i've quoted that to my my wife and friends and i've done that several times i love it it's it's great great advice and yeah there's, there's just a lot of good advice coming out of warren and charlie just life lessons that uh, are great and i've really appreciated that, that's what I challenge. I actually, uh, I work with uh, like the teenagers in our neighborhood and at our church and, uh, and I'm going to do an activity where I'm going to be like, hey, you're all going to die tomorrow. You know what? I want you to write your obituary and then challenge them to go live it. So that, that would actually be my invitation to Iron Gate listeners is uh, from Warren, via Spencer Nelson, but originally from Warren Buffett. Go write your obituary, reverse engineer it, and live it. Yeah. Um, we'll continue to kind of probably. Have you rewatched the annual meetings yet? Not yet. Not yet. And we'll probably rewatch it. But uh, great takeaway: a celebration of capitalism, of America, of a great company, and then getting some wisdom from uh, Grandpa Warren and Grandpa Charlie, if you want to <laughs> say it, and taking it from it. But it was a really good visit. 
And once again, those ribs were phenomenal. They were wonderful. Yep. Thanks for listening. And uh, until next time. This is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized financial advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's financial situation is unique, and the topics discussed on this broadcast should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized advice. Specific financial securities discussed are not intended to address any listener's particular financial situation and should not be considered recommendations. This is for educational purposes only. For more information, please contact Iron Gate Global Advisors at info at or by